Hello and welcome to the United Bias. I'm Kiran Chetty and today I'm joined by Ruben Kronia and Slayton Karau. Hey guys, great to be back. Hello, hello. Yes, good to be back for sure. I think it's been a it's been a good break. Um, but yeah, I think I'm looking forward to the upcoming season. Yeah, the, the winter of discontent is over uh, and well, at least in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, heading into summer soon and with it a whole lot of awesome football to watch. Yay. Yes, and today's show, we start with the Manchester United sale, because of course, after a long break, we, we had expected that to be wrapped up. We then spoke about the Women's World Cup, Ruben. Yep. Yeah, we, we've uh, all been, uh, I think, quite uh, taken by, uh, you know, the sort of uh, performances of, of our very own Banyana Banyana. It's been very exciting uh, and nice to see the tournament getting a lot of traction. Yeah, and I'm glad the US have been knocked out. And, and not to alienate our viewers too much. Let's not try not to do that too much, guys. But yeah, then we went on to a team preview. We looked at the, the top nine, what we thought would be the top nine teams in the Prem this season. Well, isn't that slight? We went on a nice little review of their transfer activity. Yeah, and um, can't wait for you to hear my predictions. Yes, and then we rounded off with predictions, you know, Premier League winners, top four, um, how we see the, the big clubs finishing, and then, of course, the relegation shots. So, yeah, there's some mental mental shots uh, out here today, some <laughs> intriguing ones for us to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, I, I thought number one and number 20 were completely uncontroversial, but <laughs> we will find out. <laughs> You'll find out. And then just a disclaimer, um, the guys, actually, both Ruben and Slider are coming off illness. You know, we, we battled through this a little bit, and thanks to them to soldiering on, so I hope you enjoyed this um, the show. I'm channeling my inner Sean Dyche. <laughs> the ginger Mourinho is with us in spirit <laughs> and our return would be the sale of Manchester United which of course must have surely concluded by now Ruben yeah I mean for four weeks or whatever of not recording I mean definitely when you come back uh, it's, it's guaranteed right I mean this, the sale's all done I remember walking out of this place and saying no no the sale's happening this Friday and yeah didn't Rio come with his yeah, yeah, mystery yeah. tweet yeah, today? Yeah, yeah 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 but you know what it is what it is I guess we, we're gonna have to wait another four weeks filled us with lots of optimism there old uh old real Ferdinand that particular day yeah I mean he, he really made it seem like he he knew things you know it, it wasn't just like a, oh I've I've heard by the grapevine it was kind of this very like you know watch the space it's coming it's, good news is here it's, it's done yeah. yeah it's where he got an, a direct message from someone saying yeah, li- li- literally, yeah, got, got it from uh, from Avram Glazer himself, uh, confirming the sale. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, uh, Manchester United fans will have to persevere and go on uh, with this. It's it's interesting because, you know, what sums up the pain there was actually today, as we record on Monday, there's a, a nice podcast out by our friends at Tifo, and they spoke about the finance in football, and they basically this guy said there's three types of loans, right? Which is kind of obvious, but you know, the one is to enhance an asset, right? So good debt, build a new stadium, new training route, something like Tottenham have done. Fantastic, very good. The second is when you want to gamble um, to buy players. It's like Barcelona have done and they've kind of got in trouble in the past and they're mm, pretty much in trouble yeah. still with their levels. Mm, yeah. The third way is to take a loan for the privilege of having the Glazers own you. <laughs> and it's so true. That's a line that he used. And he, and he basically said it's madness. And of course, it's been outlawed now. You can't actually do that anymore. But just... Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, how the, the Premier League, or the FA at least, seems to wise up to, to how, how to regulate the league as soon as it impacts Man United. You know, I mean, uh, the, the FFP... Uh, changes as well that, that have come in have, have bit us harder than a lot of t- like Chelsea for example you know I mean they uh, figured out a way to to beat the you know the requirements and pull in whatever 650 million worth of players in a single window um, and suddenly 
you know, we're, we have our hands tied behind our back because of the changes to FFP. Yeah, yeah it's, it's quite it's quite scary. Um, like you're making a point there that every time there's Man United involved, like things turn to such switch. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. Sale not done. Guess we just have to move on. Like I I, I actually don't want to hop on a boat. Is it gonna happen? It, it, let's it, be it's, honest. It's, it's Before, I mean I I still have my doubts to be honest. Yeah, it it is concerning because you know. Um, during this period, I mean, numerous people have come out with models of, you know, calculating the, the worth and you can, you know, use different models to calculate the value of an institution. I mean, Bloomberg valued Manchester United at like 2 billion, 2 billion pounds. Mm. Uh, Forbes put it at 3.7 billion. And basically no one, everyone out there basically says 4 billion is the upper most mm. reasonable offer. So, you know, if, if people are coming in there and, you know, the likes of, we don't know what the offers are, but the reports say five to six billion seems to be the offer of the Qatari offer mm. and that's not getting accepted I, I don't know what will because yeah now you hear the Glazers holding out for what is it eight or something eight. I mean it's just yeah. the, last, the last figure I saw or heard was eight yeah I mean, so, that's before you even figure that you've got to bail out half a billion of debt if you want to buy the club you know it's just uh, it's going to be completely unrealistic by, by them I, I mean I said it I remember when they announced this thing and then it dragged and dragged and dragged I mean this is back in February or something when <laughs> I, I still remember saying that it, it feels like this is something they've done to get people off their backs and just kick the can down the road. You know, so you stop the questions being asked about when are you going to invest in the stadium? When's the leaky roof going to start? When are you hiring a new chef? You know, when are we going to get Harry Kane? You know, <laughs> all, of those, all of those things they managed to shut down. It's like, oh, well, we're in the middle of a sale process now. You know, how could we possibly make all these investments, you know, with an impending sale? And they've literally strung that along for close to a year now. I mean, it's uh, yeah, tactically pretty astute by then. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. As of now, uh, no, no, no further updates on that. And I, I think, you know, just to that point about the leaky roof and stuff, you know, Manchester City have announced recently that mm. they are further upgrading their stadium, which is, of course, a recently developed stadium. I mean, it was built, I want to say, in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty new stadium and they're investing like 300 million or something that they've announced. So you know, the pressure is going to be turned on and I know the protest, the, the supporters clubs like Must and so forth are planning to... Uh, yeah, I've about sit-ins and things like that. But yeah. yeah, but uh, moving on uh, to something a bit more positive, the uh, Women's World Cup uh, un- underway currently uh, in Australia. And I mean, we, we're not going to pretend to be experts in women's football because we certainly aren't. But I think it's been really, really um, fantastic to see the have-nots, if you will, the likes of uh, South Africa, Jamaica, uh, Morocco, Nigeria, you know, upset the apple cart in Japan to a lesser extent, extent Ruben. Yeah, and, and I mean, women's football, I think, especially international level, you know, even I think also at club level, you know, it's tended to be dominated by, you know, the, the few clubs or countries who are pumping serious money into it, you know. And so, yeah, it has created a, a very haves or, or have-nots type scenarios, you know, and, and historically it's been your, you know, your USA, uh, you know, UK, uh, the, the Nordic states, you know, you know, those countries that all traditionally have money to burn on sport, you know, and, and kind of invest, uh, you know, from a young age. So, I mean, I think it's has been nice. I mean, obviously, just from a South African perspective, uh, really nice to see Banyana Banyana do what, you know, <laughs> what the men's team have failed to do at at three attempts, which is actually qualify for the for the knockout rounds. Um, fantastic. I mean, did you guys actually watch the Italy game? I mean, man, that was um, from one all down and then pulling ahead and getting pegged back and then a 
Yeah, kind of pretty late winner. Uh, yeah, man. And, and then like 17 minutes of yeah, extra 17 time. 17 minutes of extra time. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think fantastic uh, showing an advert for football. And I think, you know, particularly uh, remarkable. People don't understand the context. A lot of these places, including South Africa, where we are, don't have a professional a system of a professional league and I mean you're up against countries that not only have professional leagues but also they, you know in Europe they're playing the cha- Women's Champions League and so yeah. forth there's huge funding uh, some of the European games are sold out at the biggest stadiums in the world so it's incredible it's just so different and it makes you wonder what could be possible slide if for example I don't know South Africa decided to wake up and Nigeria decided to wake up with the huge uh, populations and player bases and decide you know what let's set up let's set up a professional system yeah, I think um, if you look at, you know, some of the sports that have sort of the female sports um, that have actually garnered a bit of sponsorship and all the like from the corporates and the like, um, how they actually carry themselves, you know, they actually take it up a notch on, on the courts or the fields um, in order to sort of live up to the expectations that, that are coming from, from all these sponsors. So I think it will definitely build in terms of the quality that you're actually looking at. So, you know, so getting that sponsorship TV rights it also allows the players themselves to market themselves for some international sort of uh, exposure. So I think the minute all these have-nots get their um, sort of ducks in a row, I think things should potentially come together. Yeah, I mean, for just out there, listener, in case you're wondering, like when we say there's no professional league, the women, most of the women in the South African team have day jobs. Like, they're not full-time athletes. They, you know, I don't know, accountants and whatever whatever jobs that they have. They have regular jobs. So they're unable to commit to training and being the best physical specimen and technical uh, player that they could be. So And they're still able to achieve this. I think it's incredible. And, like, sky's the limit yeah. if and when. And hopefully this kickstarts uh, something. I mean, South Africa, Jamaica, Nigeria all had similar stories about you know, funding issues, uh, disputes with the football associations, GoFundMe's to get, to get them there. It's just ridiculous. So wonderful story. And hopefully we'll see this uh, trend, uh, con- you know, uh, reversed in the future. And these 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 up and coming emerging teams, you know, uh, not just bloody the noses as, as they've done, but take it a step further in years to come. Yeah, and it has definitely caught the public imagination in a way that I think it hasn't in, in years gone by. Uh, it's just a pity it's been in Australia that, you know, for the rest of the world, the time zones have been a bit horrendous for trying to catch games live, unfortunately. But, um, but yeah, I think there's been a lot, a lot more interest just generally, I mean, uh, yeah, in the last uh, year, two years. I mean, maybe it's just because as, you know, Man United fans, the women's team has, you know, kind of got going and a really good performance in only its second season. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and I think people are paying, just sitting up and paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, and last thing on, on the Women's World Cup, like, I just think the creativity on, on display, some of the, the ads that have come out have been tremendous. I mean, we've, we've posted them on our, on our socials if you, if you want to see them at the United Bias on Instagram and TikTok, etc., Facebook. Um, the, the, the France ad, you know, where they ran a campaign to show people, like, basically, you know, the women can play as well and you need to support them. It was just fantastic where they, you know, used some AI to change the faces. And then, of course, the hilarious American ad with the most brash over-the-top, arrogant campaign you've ever seen about how great they are. Um, you know, no one's going to stop them. Uh, you've got to see it. It's just it's just hilarious. And, of course, as as, as you may know, they were eliminated yeah, by, aged, uh, by Sweden uh, on penalties. <laughs> that ad aged like rancid milk, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, and actually, you know, it's just people having a good laugh on our, on our Instagram with that. So go and check that out. 
Okay, moving on. On to back to the men's game, what we know, uh, we a bit more qualified to talk about. Uh, Community Shield uh, was uh, took place yesterday, and of course was contested be- between Arsenal and, and Manchester City, with Arsenal winning in in penalty shootout. Slide. Mm. What are your What are your takeaways, or were there any takeaways? And because I know everyone has a different this different take on Community Shield, you know, is it a competitive game? Isn't it? Is it a real trophy? Is it not? Uh, you know, uh, how much stock do we put into Community Shield and, and the impact that it has on a, on a team or a club? So I think first and foremost, you need to look at, you know, where you are as a club. So I think with, with Arsenal and the way they sort of dropped the ball almost at the finish line last year, last season, um, this was a must win for them. Um, and, and it's one of those where you're like, you know what, if we hit the ground running and we annihilate these guys, in as much as when you look at both teams that played the starting 11s, um, deliberately so Pip pulled a Pip, you know, it didn't use an entire full strength 11, but what's not a full strength 11 to Pip? Um, but, but didn't he, I mean, like, I know De Bruyne was still coming back from injury, but apart from De Bruyne, I, I'm not sure if they were missing too many players. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you look you look at most of the players he's now gotten rid of, right? So you're looking at Mara's no longer there anymore. Palmer's come in. He's done a madness. He actually scored the goal. Yeah, um, bang on the goal. And, and, and he's still, for some reason, Phil Foden's on the bench. And you're wondering, you know, you would have expected him to sort of come and step in because of Gundogan leaving and the like. But, again, it's, it's, it's one of those. Because he still had Jack Grealish on. Haaland had the least touches he's ever had in a game. Um, but you know you're looking you're looking at that and you're thinking okay maybe these guys are still trying to warm up or it's sort of Pep-esque because sometimes he does play those mind games it's a nothing thing to him he yeah I mean what is a Pep best starting 11 it's you know it's undefined everyone knows the yeah, Pep relent yeah, when you play yeah, fantasy Premier League, you know? but yeah I mean that's off to Arsenal for, for getting a plate um, and, and, and sort of making use of it um, hopefully, you know, they, they kick on to something else um, in, in, in the new season. But yeah, Arsenal being Arsenal, I don't know. I've got my doubts. I mean, Pep was asked post-game um, about, you know, losing the third time in a row. They've lost the, the Community Shield. And he said, yeah, well, we've won the Premier League each time. So, you know, who cares? <laughs> Not a bad response. Yeah, like, kind of who cares? Which... So I mean, I, I kind of with you. I kind of I kind of feel like you know, it's not a it's never hurts to win a game. Mm. So. Give him some confidence, kick you know, kick things on. But we saw Liverpool last season, Ruben, win. I remember at the time everyone was raving about Darwin Nunes and saying, "Oh, he's mm. gonna, he looks like the better signing between yeah, Holland, the Holland and, v Nunes battle." That yeah, was built up. And, yeah. And, and of course, <laughs> Liverpool had a pretty poor se- season by their standards. So, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it matters too much, does it? No, I, I wouldn't put. Uh, to be honest, it's a preseason game. I wouldn't put too much stock in it. it it's a nice to have. And look, if you're uh, Arsenal and and you're Trophy cabinet's a little dusty. Um, yeah, sure, it's nice to have something to stick inside it. Um, but, but that said, I, I don't think you can read any more uh, into it other than, you know, a one-off game that neither side was taken particularly seriously and you got a decent result. Well done. Yeah, I, I will say that the key takeout for me was that, like, Havertz playing, playing up top in the nine roll for Arsenal kind of looked, you know, like he did for Chelsea. Okay, without... Really looking uh, in it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I mean, when we discussed, you know, our, our transfer episode and I said, you know, I, I still struggle to understand 
what's he going to do there? You know, why, why have you brought him in? What's he doing better than anyone else who could have filled those roles, that, you know, in, in this previous season? And I don't think he's done anything in this game to dispel it, yeah. Okay. Um, I, unless, anything else from the Community Shield uh, slide? I want to just comment Arsenal's penalties in the sense of the way they were executed. It's, it's, those were top-notch penalties. It wasn't just a mediocre, let me just tap it here. They, these guys have been clearly doing a job on the, on the, on the, on the training, training grounds in terms of practicing their, their, um, their penalties. But yeah, I think, yeah, that's, 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 that's just about it, I guess. Um, pre-season, <laughs> let's, let's move on. Let's see what the season has, has to hold. I, I only wonder, is there a pattern between FA Cup final, Champions League final, this game, which is, I suppose, a final, you could call it. Uh, City have looked pretty effectively shut down in their midfield, all three of those games. I would say they've really, you know, struggled to sort of... I mean, of course, they, they won two of those, but certainly not in that kind of imperious City fashion by any means. Uh, you know, they've looked a little off the boil, I thought, in all three of those games. I thought they looked okay uh, yesterday. They had a fair amount of control in the game. You know, it is it this classic... Pep ball where they have a lot of control. They sort of not dominate, but I don't want to say they dominated, but they looked comfortable until they conceded. You know, it was one of those weird ones where I, they didn't create too many chances. There was kind of a bit of a stalemate in the game. And again, I'm not going to read too much into it. I don't think we should because it is a, as you said, yeah, bit of a bit of a preseason friendly, if you will, because um, we've seen this tale before. Uh, as much as I want to be optimistic. I think we can move on, and it's a nice place to start because it's a nice segue. Because I think we want to have a look at some of the the biggest teams in in the league, and where they are. You know, of course, everyone's made some signings, and I think let's start with Man City because we're on them. And of course, you alluded to the fact that Man City have lost both Riyad Mahrez and Ilkay Gundogan, who've been fantastic for them, and Gundogan in particular the last couple of years just outstanding, just technically brilliant. Um, both of them, in fact, lost both of them, um, who are key players, and replaced. I guess, I guess Kovacic has replaced Gunagan. That's a downgrade, right? Surely that's just a, a straight-up downgrade. No matter how good you think Kovacic is, and I think he's a fine technical player, but that's a downgrade, surely. Yeah, you, you definitely miss Gunagan more than you are happy you got Kovacic. Put it that way. And again, age profile, I think Kovacic around 29 years old as well. Yep. So, so you're replacing a... A 31-year-old, I think? With, yeah. a, with a 29-year-old who's mm. good, who's a good player, but not as good as the guy who's left. And you haven't really replaced Mahrez because I guess you've got... I guess they're thinking they've got enough squad depth with all the, the fantastic players that they have. But if you're just looking at it in black and white, to me, they've taken a step back. Yes, of course, they've signed Guardiola, which, again, fantastic player, but like... Did they need another centre-back to the army of centre-backs that they already have, Slide? So, rumour has it one of the other guys is going. So, I think probably Laporte is probably on his way out. So, he will be replaced by uh, Vardyol. So, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm still at Kovacic. I'm still there. Like, first signing of the, of, of the window and they do that. And I'm wondering what on earth is happening here. Um, for starters, it's not really a like-for-like um, sort of replacement. Um, but again, these they probably have plans. I mean, am I wrong? Guardiola and Stones, I suppose you would both expect to be ball-spraying, ball-carrying kind of defender who actually is advancing the ball. So, I mean, 
uh, yeah, I mean, uh, do they just want to be less dependent on Stones? I mean, Stones is arguably their best player. I mean, like, obviously, exclude Harlan from the conversation, but you, there's an argument to make that Stones is their most important player last season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that was the start of their all of their build-up, was with Stones, right? I actually do agree. Um, but we, we're forgetting the talisman at the back there, Ruben Diaz, who has been for quite some time now. But obviously last season, injuries and all that stuff. But, like, he's still there, you know, they, and they're not just going to offload him. Obviously now Nathan Ake is also trying to play a left wing back or whatever it is that they're probably going to be using him for. Although naturally, um, from where he was, he was a centre-back. So it's, again, one of those utility backs type scenario. I've got multiple players I can switch and do whatever the hell I want with yeah, I guess, look, at the end of the day, he's a fantastic prospect. He's been highly touted for a few years now. Probably not something they needed. But again, they are strengthening their defense. So in that regard, good, I guess. But you have lost two fantastic you know, midfielders slash creative players and replaced them with Kovacic. So but yeah. odd for Man City. On the whole, I would say as a transfer window for Man City thus far, as it stands, they've taken a step back. Yeah, they have. Uh, I, I think of the losers of the window, certainly of, of the big teams, they're the only ones who haven't, I suppose, notably strengthened. I mean, of course, they were, you know, already just about at maximum strength. I also wonder, I mean, you know, how long do they get away with uh, De Bruyne aging as gracefully as he has, you know? I mean, the guy's knocking on, what, 33 now this year? Something like that? And, and is very now extremely injury prone yeah 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 he's he's missed games he's yeah Yeah. so you know are they sort of over relying on on sort of yeah you know as i said the the fact that that he's just been the absolute peak for so long and then suddenly they're going to find themselves caught short okay well that being said they did win a treble so you know if they're falling (laughs) we're clutching at the straws we can okay (laughs) if if they fall from the stars they're going to land on the mountain so yeah (laughs) i I think still still uh imperious okay let's move on to arsenal Arsenal, interesting, and I know we, we've, since we have did our transfer show, of course, the big addition has been uh, Jurian Timber that's c- come on. So it's Declan Rice, Kai Havertz, Jurian Timber uh, thus far have come through the door. Um, with strong talk being that David Raya is coming in as well, um, which I, I think fantastic keeper and for me, uh, a strict upgrade on, on Ramsdale. You know, and they've lost, I think Granit Xhaka is the only notable outgoing at Arsenal. So... Slide, how, what do we feel about uh, Arsenal's business thus far? I mean, we obviously missed you on the transfer review pod uh, yeah. to go through this. Yeah, I think it's it's average, I guess. They've they've obviously strengthened in in, in the midfield. Um, there's no there's no denying that with you know with getting Declan Rice, you know, it just it just now becomes a question of what is the role of Thomas Partey in that sort of thing. I mean, is he Going in because I know there were times when Arteta played Xhaka and Partey at the same time, so maybe he's just going in and replacing Xhaka from from the get go. So let's let's see how that pans out. Um, Timber, let's see, like with what's what's his actual actual role, like centre back. This this is the thing, right? Like he's one of those centre backs slash right centre backs, another Ben White type. It seemed an odd signing to me, to be perfectly honest. I, I don't understand. Because I'm looking, I'm looking at the current complement of, of, of defenders and I'm thinking to myself, okay, where is this just fulfilling on something that didn't happen last transfer window that they had really wanted to happen? Or, or what? You know what I'm saying? So, so it's, it's, it's one of those, but you know what? Squad depth, they're back in the Champions League after a very long time. So I'm ass- 
the right assumption to make here would be that this is definitely a squad deploy. Ben White will play some games and Timber will play the others. Um, so, I'm, I'm in, in the right back role because I don't see Saliba getting dropped for anything unless he's injured. Yeah, I think Ruben, on, on that point, we, we, we both share the sentiment, I believe, that they've incre- improved their squad. That's yeah. That goes without saying. But for me, with the sheer amounts of money that they've spent as well, well in excess of 200 million uh, pounds, they haven't brought in any world-class players. Now, you can, you can go and argue about Declan Rice whether he's world-class or not. Personally, I don't think so. And I think that's the fundamental difference. You're trying to catch a City team just, you know, with world-class players that can't get into the 11. And, and, and this, this exercise and what they have done, they haven't thus far bridged that gap bringing in world-class players to me. So for me, with all the money spent, I would say that this, is also, this isn't a great transfer window all in all, even though the squad has improved. Yeah, it's an odd one because they, they clearly they got their man, you know, and you would think, well, if, if you got the guy that you set out at the start of the window, you're gunning for him, you got him in, well, then, you know, are you not the, the winner of the window? But, I mean, A, you know, as we've discussed now a few times, I mean, for a, a really a, a, a king's ransom, it just makes me weep looking at that transfer fee again now up on, on screen. Uh, but uh, Of Declan Rice or Kai Havertz? Which one? <laughs> I'm, I'm weeping at both, to be honest. But it's more the, top, the bottom line expenditure of 231 Point six M's, man, for Bryce Havertz and Timber. Sure, um, yeah, it just, it just feels like uh, you know a, a big spend. Um, but but that said, you know, I mean, what would you have said Arsenal's biggest issue was to, at the tail end of last season? Squad depth, right? Their quality dropped off too much once key players started getting injured, and I think that's in part what they've gone out to address. I also think Rice over, you know, I mean, Shaka. Look, I mean, obviously had a good season. I do think it's a definitely an upgrade. Um, you know, and I think you know, Community Shield. Uh, he started alongside uh, Party. Um, look, we'll see whether he, he needs to slot in as Party's replacement because he, you know, he may have legal troubles coming up soon. But yeah, I look, I uh, just too much money. But yeah, they've raised their floor, not their ceiling. Yeah, I think. so I think it's, it's it's one of those where I think the biggest conundrum that Arteta is going to face is once they sign David Raya between Ramsdale mm. and 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 Raya because Ramsdale didn't have. A rubbish season last season. All right, it wasn't rubbish. Yes, we can put him in the same pot as 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 our dearly departed David Rea in the sense of, you know, one or two very stupid mistakes and and have caused you to sort of lose the game or draw it. But again, it's it's the age old. Okay, you know, you're you're a good goalkeeper with who plays well on your feet. So you 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 see that that's super keeper. Mm. Raya, same thing. I think I saw a stat um, a couple of weeks ago where you know both Ramsdale and Raya were in the top four after Edison um, of those kind of sort of goalkeepers, you know. And and it's 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 one of those where you're looking at it and be like, jeez, if if these guys now have two top notch goalkeepers, this is actually a serious squad in the making. Well, I don't know. I mean, we, I've I've voiced my my iffiness on having two, two top top end goalkeepers. Uh, you know, back when we were debating whether we want you know Dave and there, does Dave stay and and uh, you know what happens to um, Henderson? Yeah. So you know, I mean, you know, is it sustainable? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, maybe they move for Raya. I think it's pretty much a straight upgrade. I would have said after squad depth, the next thing, best thing for them to upgrade would be to upgrade Ramsdale. Uh, you know, to a, a better ball at feet. Keeper and yeah, I think Raya would be a nice pick, but let's who, who knows if they get that. Okay, 
Arsenal, much like most teams, top teams, need a proper number nine or a backup to the current existing current things. Proper. Yeah, we all we all <laughs> need that. Mm. Yeah, I, it's, there's a there's a dearth of um, of number nines in the league. You know, I was reminded recently of Spurs a few years back when Spurs had Berbatov, uh, Jermaine Defoe, Robbie Jeez. Keane, and Darren Bent. All on their books. Yeah. And it wasn't like Spurs were like no, the best team in the league. Yeah. But, but like, you used to have like four strikers. And like four I mean, good, yeah. like really good strikers yeah. at, at one at one mid-table team yeah. as they were at the time. Like top yeah. eight type, type of team. And now, you know, teams are struggling to, mm. to feel like one striker of that that quality. So, yeah, I, I kind of share your sentiments there. I think I think it's enough on Arsenal. I think um, let's move on to... Actually, let's move on, move on to Manchester United. Because they... I mean, United, of course, were, were third in the league. Um, Manchester United, interesting, interesting window, and I think we're going to spend a little bit of time on on Manchester United. Of course, as we've previously discussed, Andre Onana. Um, well, actually, we haven't discussed this yet. Andre Onana comes in for David Gea. Um, thoughts, initial impressions. Uh, we, we have, we're delighted about this, aren't we, Ruben? We, we, we've been calling for, the, for this for a while. Yeah, no, I mean, I've definitely, well, both of us have, have championed Anana. I think we have sort of said it's, you know, one of the clearest things that's going to let us take a, take a step towards playing Ten Hag ball. Um, you know, I mean, he's obviously, you know, I, I, maybe you could call it slight teething problems in, in pre-season, you know, people getting used to his play style. Uh, you know, I mean, the... The meltdown on the socials about a chipped goal and, and him shouting at Harry Maguire is, is of course just you know kind of absurd. So I think I think you just have to quieten out all of that noise, filter it out, and, and yeah, just just focus on the fact that you know even if it does take a quarter of a season or, or whatever, and, and there's one or two miscommunications, it's it's for the like greater cause that that's ultimately going to be a much much better structure building up. It's it's definitely going to take time. It's not like you, you were not. I don't think anyone with the expectation that Orana's going to come in and fit hmm. like a glove is delusional, right? Particularly with the same sort of back four that we've had, you know, the one full season that Ten Hag has had and all that stuff. They still need to then build their relationship playing style and, and adapt to, to sort of Ten Hag style. Hmm. I mean, the good thing about Onana is he's obviously played under Ten Hag before. So to him, he's accustomed to the way he wants to play. You know, and then he's got Martinez. And he's got Martinez there as well. With, yeah. Experience with him, mm. um, you know. So, so there's, there's, there's a. It's not going to take as long as, another sort of, player that wouldn't have played against. Uh, I mean, under Ten Hag. So, hopefully, this happens a lot sooner rather than later. Um, in terms of you know the, the sort of chemistry with within within the sort of team and and players amongst amongst each other. Yeah, I'd look. I think. Either way you look, any way you look at it, I think it's fantastic. He's arguably, I think, the only one who's comparable with him in terms of on-the-ball ability is Edison. I think he's better than every other goalkeeper in the Premier League with ball at feet. And as a shot stopper, he's probably in the top five anyway, just on that. Mm. For me, he's a top five goalkeeper in the world. And I think a lot of people share that uh, sentiment. So, huge upgrade from, a, of course, regressed David Gea. Moving on, um, the other, other big signing earlier on in the window, of course, was Mason Mount. Just a reminder, Mason Mount was wanted by Arsenal and Liverpool. Klopp and Arteta obviously valued him highly. He rejected both of them. He only wanted to come to Manchester United. So also a huge boost in confidence to the project, the Ten Hag project that's going on there. Slide, what are your initial thoughts on the, the Mount deal and what are you hoping to see from the Mount will bring to the club? First of all, I'd like to 
send a big shout out to Agent Luke Shaw. Um, <laughs> pretty sure he had a good thing, oh, no pun intended, um, <laughs> to, to, to sort of do with it. I think Mason Mount, if, if we look at, you know, the sort of profile that he's got, um, he's, he's that kind of player who's, who's got the heart and tenacity to sort of push on, you know. So think of it as the British Bruno Fernandes type sort of person. You know, he's he's got that sort of edge. He will sort of slice a pass where you least expect it. He'll probably put a through ball where you least expect it. So I think we, we're getting someone who's coming in and who's actually going to sort of <laughs> assist with goals, you know. So with with the next player we're probably going to talk about, um, hopefully he then hits the ground running and he gets the goals. And Anthony Martial stays out of the sick bay and he actually gets to the end of some of these sort of assists. Yeah, I mean, he, he, yeah, I think what we've seen already so far, I, I think he's probably a, a tad rusty. We know he's come off both not a great season and, and an injury. So, yeah, I, I think he hasn't uh, maybe looked sharp necessarily in the preseason games, but what he has looked is energetic. And he's, I think that's really what he's brought in for is, is that injection of, of mobility, that injection of, uh, you know, the ability to initiate the press high or, or to, to drop back and, and help Casemiro out um, sort of in, in the defensive formation. You know, that, that, that ability to, to kind of just have that off the ball, all action man, you know, even more so than, than the goals and assists, which hopefully will come. But, but, you know, I think he has demonstrated certainly already to this point that, that he's, you know, bringing another dynamic that we've, we've kind of missed. And it's sort of a, a Fred without the kind of headless chicken uh, aspect to it, I suppose. Yeah, so I think it's a good way of, um, of, of summing up Mount. I think you guys have covered everything. So um, I think let's move on to the, the latest signing. Rasmus Hoyland unveiled on, on Saturday at Old Trafford. The big money uh, centre forward. Of, of course, massive fee in the region of 75 million euro. Massive lad too, 6-3. You, you know, this is the funny thing. On the 6-3 story... Every time I read a report, it's a different height. Some say 6'3", some say 6'1". I saw Julian Laurent's tweet about like, oh, he's one, he's one whatever, he's 6'3". I see Wikipedia says he's 185. I actually have no idea. I, I don't know why there's so much like mystery around how big the lad is. Okay, he's, he's big, full stop. I think let's let's just accept it. <laughs> you don't need to bring out any admission. He's, he's, he's a he's a big he's a big fella. Okay, we, we've got that. He's a big fella. Big fee. Also unproven. Very young. Yeah. Very yeah. raw. And I think there's there are naturally some concerns about him. There's there's a lot of reason to be optimistic because there's a there's a rough diamond that one needs to mold. Or you know, Ten Hag has a lot of work to do. Benny McCarthy with the forwards has a lot of work to do with this man. The, by all the scouting reports that I've followed, there's nothing world-class in terms of sta- single standout attribute that he has. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, like, if you compare him to other people at a young age, maybe, you know, some some young player, Martial, remember, Martial was this amazing dribbler. Mm-hmm. He could beat, at that 18 years old, he just looked ridiculous. He could beat people, or 19, or whatever he was when he came across. He's, I think, Holland's got a lot of good characteristics that look promising, pressing, uh, running the channels. Uh, hold up play looks good. But, but, but you know what he is, I, I think it's 99th percentile for, is progressive passes received, which, uh, you know, I mean, I know Atlanta were already a pretty, yes. obviously, attacking team, but I mean, I think we've, I mean, as we've said a number of times, we're crying out for somebody to get on the end of what our creative players are are doing. And, you know, so if we got get a guy who already at age 20 is elite at being able to find himself in positions 
to receive the ball, you know, is that not what we're looking for? Yeah, but I think what you're speaking of is sort of system fit, right? Mm. Like someone, because we've been crying out for someone to hold, to lead the line, really get in behind, where, you know, even the likes of Martial, Martial's drifting away, there's no one in the middle, yeah. you yeah. know, there's, there's no one against a low block, you need someone to pin them back, really push them. And, and from a system point of view, I think he's going to be fantastic. The question is, and in two years' time, how, how is he going to develop? And, and no one knows the answer. Time will tell, yeah. really. No, 100%. I, I just, my, my biggest wish is that he doesn't get painted um, as this waste of money based on the price tag. He doesn't choose that. But like, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those where you buy, you're paying that price for potential. So we just hope that that potential gets unearthed a lot, lot quicker. And, and, and I mean, on the potential, PSG were in for him. Yeah. Chelsea were in for him. He rejected both of them. Wasn't interested. So, you know, some of the biggest clubs in Europe were also after him. So, you know, there, there's something about it. It's This is not a Harry Maguire scenario where, you know, or Aaron Wan-Bissaka scenario where the biggest clubs weren't after them. No, this is someone that people recognize talent in. So I guess there's something to be optimistic about. Yeah. Of course, from an outgoing perspective, it hasn't been too much at United. I mean, there's been small sales fringe players that have gone. Of course, David Gea's contracts wound down. And then I guess the most notable sale was Anthony, Anthony Langer, but he was also a bit of a fringe player. So lots of um, outgoing still to do at United with you know a lot of excess players going on at the moment. In terms of one more incoming, it sounds like they're trying to get Sofian Amrabat over the line. And I will say this, if you go from a midfield of uh, you know having options like Scott, Fred uh, and Donny van der Beek to replacing them and getting, I don't know, Mount, uh, Amrabat and now Menu, who's, who's looked quite good, that's a huge technical upgrade for a, for a, for a yeah. squad at a midfield. No, 100%. I think we're definitely on the right track. I think if we get these deals over the line, i.e. the outgoings and then, you know, the Amrabat deal done, I think we'll have had a very decent window. Yeah, the other name I've just seen linked today is Jean-Claire Toribo. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So that, that's another. The one of your guys used to be at Barcelona uh, those years ago, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I suspect he would probably only come in if, if Harry Maguire does does actually make an exit. But um, but yeah, I, I presume that's sort of in somewhat of a backup role. But s- same with Amrabat Radio. Really. At this point, we're just looking to flesh out squad depth, I guess. Yeah, and I, I'll say like if if United make the signing of even without Amrabat, it's it's definitely a step forward. You've you've upgraded your goalkeeper massively. Mm-hmm. You've upgraded your centre forward because we had no one last season between Vaghorst and the injured perennially injured Martial, um, and then of course Mount over Eriksen's at this stage of career. Eriksen's a massive upgrade. So United, out of all the teams I think we've discussed thus far, have made the biggest improvement both in terms of uh, floor and ceiling mm-hmm. raising thus far. And preseason, I mean, has anyone anything else stood out to you? I mean, the Sancho nine experiment. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I thought he's, he's looked okay. Mm. I felt like he's looked okay. I just don't think it's sustainable. Yeah, uh, no, hundred percent. I, I don't. I agree with you, Kieran. I don't think. I don't think it's sustainable. Um, you know, you'd have to pick and choose when you're going to do that. Mm. Um, it won't be the blueprint. He's, he's he doesn't have hold up play. Sancho, yeah. Sancho can't. You, you need someone to one stretch. He's not very quick. He doesn't. Hold-up play isn't really his strength. And so that's my worry with Sancho. I'm optimistic that he has looked sharp and, and hopefully maybe he'll get enough minutes on the right-hand side, you know, and, and deliver. I think there's, if United are to have a successful season, guys like Sancho and, and, and Anthony really have to step, step up, up to the player yeah. you know, because you can't rely on Bruno and Rashford to do everything. No, no, and especially, you know, I mean, I think everyone was quite excited to see Ahmad. Now he's injured for a while. We, we don't know, and I'm hearing that. 
but Leicester is probably going to go uh, on loan. So, you know, kind of, it's really down to Sancho and Anthony on the right. Just on, on pre-season and, and one of these trends that have, have, have continued to just, I don't know, escalate is the booing of players and, and that mm. I've seen. And, and in this particular example, it's been Harry Maguire that's been booed by Manchester United fans, which I find preposterous. You know, um, the concept of booing one's own player, you know, unless that player has done something and has disrespected the fans, the club, like Cristiano Ronaldo did, I would never condone booing our own players. I don't understand it. It's a pervasive part of this new, you know, fan culture. And I think it's just ridiculous. It has no place in football. I mean, Ruben, I remember we grew up together going to Kings Park, going yeah. to uh, Kingsmead. And like, if we would like, if you wanted to boo the opposition, the opposition kicker, you'd get like yeah, you'd scolded. get shushed, no, you'd get was, reprimanded. Yeah, yeah, I remember that distinctly. It was yeah. is when the guy's taking a kick. Didn't matter if it was your guy. Didn't matter if it was your arch nemesis Bulls or Lions player taking the kick. That stadium, you could hear a pin drop. You know, yeah. it's just like a respect thing. Yeah, so I mean, that's how we we grew up with this respect and this notion of like you respect the opposition, let alone your own players. Or goes without saying. So for us, I think that's all I want to say on the matter. I think it's atrocious, and I really hope that people stop this nonsense because you know that that player's giving all for the club and it's not his fault that the manager all he's at fault for is playing when the manager selects him and and, and that's all i want to say about that on to newcastle the next one i mean the new kids on the block so to speak in, in, in on the at the highest table in european football they had obviously had an outstanding season but there was no european football for them last year they've supplemented their squad with sandra tonali which, when you think about it, Newcastle buying the promising Milan uh, midfielder, it's kind of mental. It yeah. still doesn't like register with me. Um, Harvey Barnes uh, from Leicester, which will be a good squad option, I believe. And and you know those are the two notable signings. They've lost Saint Maximum, so it's essentially Maximum Saint Maximum's out for Harvey Barnes. So it's a one for one, and they've sub- supplemented their squad with Tenali. I don't think they've done enough. I really don't think they've done enough to to compete. Um, on multiple fronts like they're going to be expected to or they're going to try to but I guess the window isn't closed yet Um, yeah look I mean I have no doubt there's good odds that they'll make a a late window move I mean you know from what I've seen uh, of Tonali you know I mean he he, I think does probably slot into a role that that they needed Um, you know I I think his you know his numbers look alright and for not a bad fee you know they've they've picked up a player that I think uh, certainly well I mean I've, I've seen the Pirlo and stuff comparisons uh, I don't know if he'll quite pan out like that but um, you know I, I still think uh, yeah, at least a solid move yeah they need to do more yeah no you gotta keep up you gotta keep but up they, they need to do more they, 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 they're playing European football this season and unfortunately if they want to really stay up there they need to actually do a lot more than, than they've done now I, I think it's, it's similar to the Arsenal scenario where they've added a bit more depth to the squad a little more depth to the squad but haven't really you know there's no significant improvement Tonali again is also like potential you buy potential he isn't someone who's mm. a world beater mm, yeah. uh, you know yeah. he looks good he looks decent but you don't know how he's going to compete now in the Premier League so yeah, yeah I, I'll share that uh, sentiments I think let's move on to um, Liverpool and Liverpool have been interesting because I mean while they signed Sabaslai and McAllister pretty early on in the window they've lost Fabinho Henderson uh, Keita Milner uh, Firmino and uh, uh, Chamberlain so quite a bit of outgoings in the Liverpool team mm. so I mean when you're losing you know that many midfielders at once that is a bit of a concern although Sabazla is highly rated he is um, an offensive player someone who probably plays more on the 10 second striker play, can play out wide which isn't necessarily something they needed in my opinion 
Um, I think they're still screaming out for a defensive type midfielder um, or two to come in to you know the, do the Wijnaldum role, do the Fabinho role. Yeah. So someone to do all that donkey work. Do you guys kind of agree on Liverpool? My assessment on Liverpool. What what do you think? How we need they needs to happen? Yeah, there? no, hundred percent. I agree. So I think you've got you know the youngsters, the Curtis Jones and, and and the kids that are that have been in the system. You know, so that have sort of been shown the ropes by your Hendersons and, and your um, Fabinho's and the like. But I don't think that's enough, particularly, you know, for, for where Liverpool should be um, over the years and, and you know, over the, especially over the last decade. Um, so I, I do feel that there's still quite a bit of business for Liverpool to still do in, 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 this, in this current window. Um, if they don't, they are, yeah, they're in serious trouble. Yeah, and I, I think... I mean, we've all known for a while now that Liverpool's, you know, midfield is is kind of, you know, they've reached their peak and passed it. You know, so I think it was clear that they needed a refresh. Uh, you know, and, and I think guys like Milner, Henderson leaving is, in a sense, not surprising. But then it's Fabinho as well uh, now, and you know, I, I do start to wonder if they've literally just lost that entire core of experience. You know, because you know it's also. You know, there is always value to, you know, even if guys are, are you know, a little bit past their, their prime, still that, that experience and kind of dressing room presence that they bring. You know, Liverpool have lost a heck of a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, and both from an experience perspective and a, a positional perspective or, or like-for-like perspective, you know, they haven't brought in matching guys. You know, I mean, I, I think maybe they, you know, if they've been wanting to play a three-man midfield and then rather with a, then a sort of double pivot, they want now one, six and two eights. Uh, you know, it seems to be the route they're looking at. You know, we know McAllister is a very, uh, you know, attacking-minded central midfielder, you know, so, you know, likes to score goals. Mm. So, I, yeah, I, I do wonder if they're going to find themselves struggling to control games. Uh, I, th- I think there's a high likelihood of it. Um, and I've also just heard that Salah is looking at uh, moving to one of the Saudi clubs as well. No, I think that, that his agent came out today and said, oh, um, that's r- r- and rubbish okay. that and said, well, you know, if we wanted to leave, we wouldn't have signed an extension last year. So, Salah's still there. Um, that being said, on McAllister, we've, we've seen McAllister play deeper, particularly for Brighton. Mm-hmm. He's played in that deeper role, and he, we know he is good at recycling the safer possession stuff. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if McAllister is going to step in and try and do a bit of a Vinaldum, you know? Yeah. Do a bit of the donkey work um, in, in this Liverpool team. In fact, given what they currently have, you'd think he'd have to, he'd have to step up and do that. Yeah, but you know, in, in, in you know, honesty, I'm, I'm trying to play back how many times McAllister sort of played that deep role. Um, last season without Caicedo because he Caicedo was like the guy who would actually do all the work even though McAllister's somewhere there and about um, so it will work for him to play in the deep role but he'd need another person partnering him in that sort of deep deep sort of positioning yeah I, I think I do think Liverpool I mean like they've hardly spent any money given that the big sums that they've received in for, mm. for their outgoing players I wouldn't be surprised if a big move still is coming, a big move or two from Liverpool. And I think then in that case, you know, another midfielder or two, and they could be set up for a really good season. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they've not been linked at all with Caicedo, but I mean, maybe, you know, they actually seem like the team that could do with him now. I know everyone's, everyone everyone's can do circling with around him. Yeah, everyone this, can do with Caicedo. This kid from Southampton, Lafia. Yeah, true. And, and he's, I think, available for a, definitely a better, a better sum, yeah. Okay. So, all in all, Liverpool's current transfer business, I think to sum up, we like the ins, like individually those players are not decent, mm-hmm. but there is a concern about 
too many central slash defensive midfielders leaving and there is a bit of a hole there developing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. They've, they've literally gotten rid of their mid- midfield depth. That's essentially what they've gotten rid of. As much as they've reached their sell-by dates and all that. Okay. On to, um, on to Tottenham. Um, Tottenham Hotspur obviously had a horrendous, have had a horrendous season and a tough few years, you know, going from, well, Jose Mourinho, Conte, and even before that, Nuno Espirito Santo. So all defensive, kind of dull football, pragmatic uh, which is very much anti what Spurs have historically mm. stood for, and also kind of bizarre given that their strengths are all offensive, yeah, uh, offensive players. So they've gone to Ange. Uh, Ange has uh, taken over and very exciting. He tries to. The, the talk is that he's going to try and be dynamic and re- sort of return to the Spurs way of playing. They've brought in James Madison, who we've said we previous previously we're delighted. We think that's a wonderful move by them. They brought in, of course, they've just made permanent the moves of Pedro Porro, Dejan Kulisevsky, uh, who were there previously on on loan agreements, and then they've brought in Vicario as a, I guess, a replacement for Hugo Lloris, whose time has, I guess, mm-hmm. come. Um, so they've upgraded their centre back. They brought in Madison for more creativity in the middle of the park, which uh, I, we think he's going to set the world alight when you're feeding guys like Kane and Son. If, if yeah, Kane they definitely move. We're pretty excited about them. Yeah, and, and and so and then Manus Solomon as a left winger who comes in, I guess, on a free because he was at Fulham and there was this whole controversy with uh, Shakhtar. So yeah, um, some some interesting signings. However, no defensive reinforcements, and they're screaming out for defensive reinforcements for the last few years at Tottenham. Um, so I think huge worry. Uh, in terms of that department, I know there's talk of um, uh, apparently the, the Dutch defender Mickey van de Ven. Well, I'll be clear, honest, I don't know too much about him, but supposedly really rapid ball-playing defender will fit the system. So that's something for them. But yeah, I think they still need a couple of centre-backs, including van de Ven. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Ange goes about things as about things as well, because he's also quite an unknown quantity. And obviously the questions that are floating around, and yes, we did a sort of slightly deeper dive into him in a previous episode. But yeah, he's just, you know, is winning in Scotland and Japan <laughs> enough, you know? And, and is he going to get found out, quote unquote, in the Premier League? Or is he, you know, going to, you know, with not having the, the dominant team in the league, is he going to struggle? You know, so I think we still need to see how that pans out. Uh, we, we said back then, you know, what we would expect him to bring in is... Um, you know, these sort of eights that like to, to drift forward and, and wide or these central players that, that like to do that. I, I don't, you know, we said maybe Madison can fill that role. I, I don't know if the existing personnel, you know, necessarily fit his system super well. And I don't really see any of the incomings having having hit those notes that we'd said he should do, you know. So I think there's a lot of work to do in this window. Um, yeah, and I know people were questioning whether Harry Kane was the right fit for Ange team. And of course, yesterday bags four in like forty minutes against Shakhtar. <laughs> so you know he made a mockery. He made a mockery for any team. Yeah, yeah, he made a mockery of all of that. I, I will say this: like goals win games, right? At the end yeah, of the day, and that's that's it. That's it. So yeah. it's like in a system that Ange plays, all he's going to have to worry about is making sure he scores, right? Yeah. And he gets he gets the goals. So if he sets up to score, I don't think he's going to have a problem. Um, as much as he may be found wanting defensively, I think if he's strong going forward, you know that that he's he's going to be he's going to be covered. In you, you maximize the the strengths of your team, which is 
they're world class. Like, yeah, yeah. multiple, like as in so, world class attackers. I mean, they, you know, Sun and Sure, Kane. they're gonna get shredded at the back. I mean, yeah. so so yeah, it's fine. But yeah. so if if he loses five four or five three, I mean, if he wins five three, whatever, that's fine. Cool. He's got a two 0 sort of uh, aggregate there. But like, you, you look at it from a okay, cool. This window, if he doesn't get backing for defensive players, then that's the next sort of season problem. As long as he maintains a certain level on, on, on the table, then he's probably going to be guaranteed that sort of expenditure. Yeah, I, look, I think it's going to be fun one way or the other. I will say this. To me, apart from Man City, I think Spurs have the best offensive players in the league. As a whole, in terms of goal potential, historical, uh, what they've de- delivered. Remember, Richarlison can't get into the starting 11. Brazil's number nine can't get into their starting 11 right. as well. So they've got, you know, an abundance of riches going forward. One or two sh- smart signings out in the back and, 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 and if things gel, they could be in for a very good season, Tottenham. But I, I share your sentiments. They, they do need some reinforcements uh, at the back in particular. On to on to Brighton, everyone's favorite or uh, well, second second team, if you will, <laughs> you know, one of the darlings of the Premier League. Come, you know, wonderful story. Brighton made some moves, spent some actually relatively big money this season with the highly rated uh, João Pedro uh, from Watford. João Pedro delivered for Watford last season in a in a really struggling team. You'd think that. That's, this is going to be a move that's going to really benefit Brighton because, of course, the one criticism was there wasn't really anyone to, you know, to put the nail in the coffin mm-hmm. because you had Danny Welbeck at his grand old age starting a bunch of games. You had the 18-year-old Evan Ferguson, who's highly rated, but he's still a kid. So this, uh, this veteran of 21 years old comes in <laughs> to, to take them to the next level, Ruben. Yeah, I think it is. It's a good move. Um, I mean, I think we we saw the murmurings of this move uh, already, so in the early part of the window. And yeah, I mean, he's he certainly delivered uh, some very good stats. Was he? Am I mistaken? Was he like young player of the season or something like that for for in the championship? Or am I dreaming that? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure to be honest. Uh, I don't know, but he's he's yeah he's, he's had some uh, yeah definitely some level of accolades uh, coming in, and I think it's the exact kind of move that you're sort of uh, you know you expect of a Brighton. You know, find those talents. Now at 21 years of age, uh, before uh, you know, b- yeah, b- before they're worth a hundred millions or whatever it may be. Uh, so yeah, I think that was pretty shrewd. Um, you know, I, I mean, Milner coming in is a bit of a strange one. I, I mean, yes, some experience there. I just you know, why James Milner? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, right? Like an old head, steady old head who's been there, done it uh, by all accounts, a great professional mm-hmm. to come in and play along these kids. You know, even if he's not going to play often, just. Those good training habits. Mm. We've heard, you know, stories of different clubs and how these old guys come in and set the tone. So, you know, leader in the in the, in the dressing room, I guess. Yeah, no, sure, sure. And, and a guy who can play in, in a number of positions. Utility, utility player. Mm. Top notch. Um, so, yeah, Muller's also come in, as you pointed out. And then Bartra Bruggen, the 20-year-old goalkeeper's come in. So, you know, already Brighton have moved on from the Sanchez era. Sanchez has gone to, to Chelsea and this, the, next, the next one's coming through the door. Um, so I think they've made some interesting interesting moves um, have Brighton they've also uh, as of today uh, they've and it hasn't been announced officially but Mohamed Kudus from Ajax the highly touted uh, yes, yes. Uh, Ghanaian uh, midfielder he's coming in so he's going to bring a lot of creativity I think he's going to be tremendous in the system I mean we heard lots of talk about 
some of the biggest teams in the world going after him. Mm. He's gone going to Brighton. I think he's going to thrive. He's going to, really looking forward to seeing him um, in the Premier League. So I think Brighton have made some great moves. And of course, you know, they've lost McAllister. So if you're assuming that McAllister is predominantly playing the 10 role, Kudu's coming in might be an, an upgrade. So I, I think Brighton really have made some, some shrewd business. I think overall, thumbs up for Brighton's transfer window, gentlemen. Yeah, I think Brighton has a knack for for these kind of things. Like, you got to commend the, the scouts and, and, and people that are actually going out and spotting these players and then sort of getting them signed. Because it's like, similar to what Southampton was like a couple of seasons ago, a couple of years ago, where you'd find all these gems, young, coming from Southampton, and, you know, you, you'd literally just go in there and be like, cool, let's get that guy. Let's yeah, get it's like endless... Stream of <laughs> and, and that's essentially yeah. what what Brighton's Brighton's like because even if you look at all those incomings of Brighton, good God, it's like all youngsters, hey, all youngsters. The only outlier is obviously James Milner, but like everyone else is a youngster, and you can see the project, you can actually see it, and, yeah. and the sort of way they want to operate. Yeah, yeah I mean, Curtis is an interesting one because I think uh, you know, I mean, I think there was even some talk at some stage when you know United were. Uh, struggling to land the the Hoyland deal, um, that, and you know there's a few names that were cropping up, and he was one of those. Obviously, the the Ten Hag link made it easy, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly comes in as very uh, actually quite a big pull. I think for for them, I think it's mm-hmm. an impressive one that they got over the line, considering there's a number of other clubs uh, in for him. I think honestly, before we can give a thumbs up or thumbs down to their window, it really depends on on what happens to to Moises Casado. If he stays, it's almost a coup in itself, and I think that really could could be a it could really elevate them this season into you know a real credible charge for top four. So I think that that's going to be a big one. Or alternatively, if they get you know if they hold out for their ninety hundred million, uh, you know if they can reinvest that. Hard to say at this point. Onto another historically big club and big spending for the last few years, Villa. Villa have gone big in the market again. Um, the notable signings, Paul Torres, massive upgrade. I mean, all the big clubs which have been chasing this guy, he rejected Tottenham, I think, last season or the season before. Now he's gone to Villa, which is kind of wild to me. And I guess that's the pull, uh, the, the, what happens when you have the pull of a big name manager in, in Emery. And then, of course, uh, Musa Diaby, which, you know, highly touted uh, winger, done really well for, for Leverkusen. So some good signings. And of course, Yuri Tillemans who, on a free transfer, which is some great business. Of course, he didn't have a great season last year. No one really did at Leicester. But a couple of years ago, everyone was vying for him. He was like one of the hottest properties in world football. So all in all, really good ins. And, and they're out, nothing notable in the out section. So really, they've really strengthened. And I think, um, of course, they're going to have to compete in the Europa League this season. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a little taxing, but uh, happy think- with Villa. Yeah, no, no, I'm pretty, pretty happy with, with Villa. I think they're probably going to do one or two more, um, purely based on depth. They're going to need it. Um, you know, so, so I, I feel probably one or two more signings and sort of key roles and, and we're good. I don't know if Danny Ings is still there at, at Villa um, alongside Watkins. I think, I think Ings left, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the... Two of those transfers are quite interesting, Pau Torres and, and Telemans. You know, both still relatively young players, you would say they're in their prime. Uh, but both players whose stock, I think, has fallen a lot in the last two years. I think those were both much hotter names 
uh, yeah, you know, call, call it two seasons ago. And it'll be interesting to see whether uh, Unai Emery is able to uh, revitalize them, I suppose. I think we know the talent is potentially there. So, you know, I, th- I think maybe he is the guy uh, to do it. And it's an in- interesting transfer strategy as well is to take, uh, you know, to, to go for those guys who maybe have something to prove, you know, to maybe say, listen, our, our careers were are, are maybe flatlining slightly, but but here's a project and a manager and, and a re- re-entry into Europe, the, you know, now's our time to shine. So, yeah, it could, could actually be some very shrewd uh, investment. Yeah, and I, 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 know, I knew he went somewhere, I remember now, January he went to West Ham, where he was sitting on the bench behind uh, Michael Antonio. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so so he joined he joined um, West Ham in January and sat on the bench alongside Skamaka while Michael Antonio was, was starting for West Ham because you know tireless runner runs the channels holds up play etc. So you know one of those uh, good player but yeah no longer there. Just back to back to Villa overall great transfer window for Villa right like some quality additions. Um, Ruben? Yeah, no, I, I'm very excited to see what they do. Um, I think they're definitely uh, going to be one of those teams knocking on the doors, uh, waiting for one of the big boys to, to slip. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, <laughs> on to Chelsea. Jeez. Lastly, on to Chelsea. We, there's, just, there's just too many to go through. We're not going to go through, but it's a mess. It doesn't actually fit on the screen. That's yeah, amazing. Chelsea's a mess. There's, there's a lot that have come through. I think the most exciting one for me, of course, uh, I think is Christopher Nkunku. Um, usually exciting player coming through the door. But there's just been so much upheaval. They've sold their entire midfield, and as we stand today, a bit like, kind of a bit like Liverpool, they've got um, Enzo Fernandez, who's fantastic, but they really don't have anyone of the requisite quality to start alongside him. So I know they've had a couple of bids for Caicedo rejected. So all in all, I think Chelsea are in a precarious position. A lot of turmoil. Basically, you know, trying new manager, getting all these new players to gel. I think it's gonna be really interesting. I think their window, as it is, is a failure because they really need some midfielders. They need some quality midfielders to start along, to, to just to add some bodies, add some numbers in because Conor Gallagher isn't it. He's not a central midfielder. And no. as it stands, he's probably the, the next best one or one of these 18-year-old kids uh, that they've picked up from Brazil. I know there's a couple of them that they've picked up. So, you know, like uh, it's, it's a mess at Chelsea. Too much to go through. We are concerned about Chelsea this season. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the headline, uh, yeah, Nkunku definitely, I think, is a, a good buy. It'll be interesting to see how he's used. Um, you know, is he going to be a 9? Is he going to be a 10? Is he going to be their goal scorer? But it's actually, uh, up to now, preseason, it's looked like Poch is like Nicholas Jackson, actually, starting at the at the 9 role. And I think he's actually somewhat looked the part, as I understand it. I haven't really watched the, the games, but, but that's, you know, I've heard good things. Uh, and I think that's a slight surprise, you know. I think he came as a somewhat unheralded, you know, fairly young player, um, you know, didn't play that many games for Villarreal. He certainly wasn't starting, I don't think, uh, regularly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if he's suddenly turns out to be their saviour, it'll be very unexpected. But, um, yeah, I, I have to agree. Very strange transfer window. Yeah, look, top, top it off with a, a new manager who's walking into players just being purchased. You know, maybe he gave them a brief. I don't know. But, like, it's 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 just seems to be all over the place. Yeah. Um, you're looking at these outgoings and you're thinking, okay, do they really need to like go until Poch really comes in and assesses them? You know, and unless someone comes in with a massive offer, then you can't say no. But like it's 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 one of those where you're thinking, okay, but you're signing a left winger. 
yeah, sure, he's free, but like, freaking hell, is he is he fitting into Posh's system? Yeah, I think there's many questions, and we can go. We could be here all day <laughs> yeah. talking about Chelsea. Yeah. But the reality is, they've signed, sold so many players, and signed so many players, and they're still short in midfield and up front. I mean, Nicholas Jackson's probably their man alone uh, as a centre forward, as a you know starting quality centre forward for them. So a bit dicey there. Um, so we'll wait and see. I think that's our preview section done for the season. We're not going to go into more teams. I think that covers most of the big teams in the league. I mean, of course, there's Everton who are bigger than a lot of these guys but nothing's happening there so we won't touch on them on to predictions just from a prediction point of view quick round slide who's winning the league this season jeez that's a tough one eh like off of last season just go Man City off the cuff right but based on what's happening in this transfer window like I don't even think I want to say this but I'm going to say it just for just for the listeners I think Arsenal's going to do it wow Sure, that's mental. <laughs> yeah, I, I've. Um, I think he's a bit more under the weather than we thought he was. Actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're right. Do you need some medication again? Uh, yeah, I mean, my my take. I think it's just so hard to look past City. Um, you know, they yes, Arsenal Arsenal pushed them last season. Um, but you know, I, I think if you look at the stats, I think they're one of the, you know they certainly overperformed in a lot of ways. Uh, there. The XG and the X points or whatever the heck the stat is. So, you know, I, I think it's entirely possible that they just revert to the, the mean again, you know, that they that was their one stellar season. Uh, yeah. Who who's gonna challenge them, to be honest? I don't think I don't think it's anyone but City. Okay. Yeah, I, I I'm with you. I think City, even though we, we said that they're a little bit worse than last year, I think City City are clear clear favourites again. A slight I mean I, of course uh, if you go round out the rest of your top four after after Arsenal, you've got Arsenal in winning. Arsenal, City, United. The fourth, I don't know, it'd probably be Tottenham. Tottenham? That's also that's a there's a couple of <laughs> crazy shouts in here. I'm not gonna lie, bro. There's some that's some wild that's some wild predictions. why Tottenham? I think they they're gonna be the surprise of the season, basically. That's and, and that's the way I see it. You know, it's like um, especially if Harry Kane stays, um, I think they're, they're in with a chance. Um, you know, like Liverpool, Chelsea, yeah, they, they're there, they're in and around there, but like Ch- Chelsea have got a longer way to go. Than so, so, to be clear, Liverpool are not in your top four? No, they're not. Okay. That's wild. That's wild. <laughs> no, uh, no, they're not. Maybe fifth. Ruben? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and say uh, actually Man United in second. Uh, I think we've potentially done enough this window that, that maybe maybe something could happen. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to depend on if uh, <laughs> you know, uh, a 20-year-old striker is at least able to contribute enough. But uh, but that said, uh, you know, uh, I think the quality is there in a lot of positions. Uh, if we can say injury-free, yeah, I think it could. Let's go, Man United second. Uh, I think Arsenal will certainly be there and thereabouts. Uh, so I also on for top four. Uh, that last top four spot is a, a bit trickier. I, I'm tempted to say either Chelsea, just because they've got the volume of players and, and you know, Poch, uh, you know, I think if anyone can get results out of that group of players, it might be Poch. Um, but I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say Brighton. Brighton. Brighton yeah. are going to shock us all. You know, I love Deserbi and Caicedo as much as, as anybody. So I love that prediction. I love that shot. Of course, I said City. I think City win. I think Liverpool are going to have a great season. I think if you saw the trajectory of the end of the second half of last season, they were just smashing it. 
everyone's fit now. All the attackers are fit. And again, Brahma, they just score goals. They're just so dangerous. And it's a bit of a Tottenham scenario here. We're a little shaky in the back at times, but they, they, they outscore you. They outgun you. And I think Jurgen Klopp's an amazing coach. So I think if, if the one or two signings come their way in terms of midfield, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Liverpool have run. Also remember, they're in the Europa League. Klopp could bin off the Europa League, you know, in terms of midweek games and really go off to City in the league like he's done in, in the past. So uh, Liverpool second for me, uh, Arsenal third, and I think Manchester United fourth. And again, so you're both looking at me like, well, what are you talking about? I think, I think it's going to be a tough season for, for, for Manchester United. I think there's going to be some adaptation. I think as we've touched on the playing out from the back, getting used to now the keeper, getting used to this new defense. I think there's a lot, in, you know, last season, we abandoned that style really quickly after the first two humblings by, at Brighton and, and uh, Brentford. So, you know, getting now, getting that number six to drop and pick up the ball, figuring out how Anana plays, I think that's one thing. I think the second big challenge is going to be the new style of playing where now we've got the players to press, do the Ten Hag aggressive press from the front foot. So with Hoyland up front, uh, Mount leading the charge, Anthony, you know, these are all players who excel at this, you know, Bruno to a lesser extent. So I think learning the triggers, learning when to press, when not to press, I think that's, that's going to take some growing pains. And last season, to be frank, a lot of those games where we were winning because Rashford was at world-class levels for that period, it was just banging and everything. And there were some, you know, shaky performances. We overperformed XG in a lot of those games. So I think all that considered, you know, we have upgraded players. But I think this gelling period, I think it's going to hurt. So I think this will be some growing pains here while the players get in the system. And that's why I think United will, will, will finish fourth. But it could, it could go another way. It could go another way if it all just clicks from the onset. But I just, I think... Yeah. I think, and it's true for all of the the underperforming teams last year, which was Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea. I, I think any three of those could, you know, just out of the. I mean, Arsenal. That you know, that second place run was really. I don't think anyone's was calling that. You know, so to sit here and, and crystal ball and you know say with certainty is of course difficult. Um, but yeah, they they could all make a run. Yeah, and then the rest of mine. If I rank the rest of it just just for fun, I I, I kind of think Brighton Brighton fifth. Um, I think Spurs sixth, Newcastle seventh, and then I don't know, Villa, Chelsea eighth, ninth. Uh, that's how I'll round it off. Yeah. I do think I do think highly of Poch as well, but yeah, I think there's just too much going on there, <laughs> and not enough quality in certain areas. I really hope <laughs> my freak <laughs> prediction actually comes to fruition, uh, <laughs> but but it is it, it is one of those. Um, I think Brighton, Villa, Chelsea. They they're gonna fight it out for that sixth position in my in my eyes. Just maybe lastly, last thing here, uh, relegation places. Uh, slide. Who who's going down? I think Burnley. I think Wolves and Sheffield. I think you missed Luton there, but I think you missed. I think you missed. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I think, think Luton will do well to to win again. I think. Uh, so I'm 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 off of freak type scenario. They'll probably have a not a Brighton. But more of a Brentford type season, but yeah, I'd drop like if, if I was to pick out of the three, then I'd I'd, I'd sort of swap Luton with Sheffield. Okay, I, I think basically slides going on with these crazy takes, these crazy hot <laughs> takes. Ruben, what are your three? 
Yeah, the, the, well, the, the heater is quite high. It's getting feverish. Maybe that's what's uh, driving us mad. Yeah, yeah like I, I think Luton, to be honest, with a, a record low uh, points total. Um, I, I just, yeah, as I say, I struggle to see them. I, I think they're going to celebrate every win and just take the ride uh, for what it, it is worth. I think, uh, you know, be fun for them, but, but you know, well, one, one season up down. Uh, Wolves, yeah, well, look, Wolves have sold out, you know, uh, so the quality that they did have is, is all left. As you see there, yeah, ne- Neves, Connor Cody, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot of names out and, and the incomings, uh, yeah, you know, n- nothing to write home about. Uh, you know, so I, I think... Probably uh, I'm going to pick them. Uh, Burnley did quite well to bounce back, so I think they're probably carrying a decent amount of momentum, uh, you know, and, and they kind of have been Premier League perennials, uh, you know, of, of late. So I think probably, I think they might have a hope of sticking in. I, I don't know if they've had any decent uh, incomings. Um, nothing that's really standing out looking at the list there. Uh, but yeah, as I said, I think did well to come back up uh, at the first try. Uh, so probably Sheffield. Sheffield United, Burnley, and Luton. So you're saying yes. all three promoted sides are going down? Uh, oof. Do I go for spicy? No, actually, no, Everton. Let's let's throw Everton in there. <laughs> Everton instead of who? But, uh, what did I say? Burnley. No, not Burnley. Burnley's going to stick. No. Luton down, for sure. Uh, not even a question. Uh, as I say, record low points total. Uh, Sheffield and Everton. Okay. I, I can... I can, I can, I can see. I, I mean, I'm a big believer. I've got a lot of short dash, dash the ginger marina stock. So I think that's absurd. But apart from that one, yeah, I, I actually think all promote three promoted sides are going down. I, uh, mm. I think Luton, as you say, just way off the pace. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised your call about the record low points yeah. tally, which was Derby um, or, so, yeah. or seven or eight. I believe. Or something like yeah, something, something bizarre. Sheffield United, yeah, I think don't have the quality. And then I think Burnley's big challenge is going to be. How do you go from dominating this league and playing this attractive, expensive football like they did in the championship to coming to the Premier League where they're not going to dominate the ball and they're going to have to change how they play? So that's going to be interesting. So hence, that's that's my sort of shout for um, the three relegated sides. All in all, I think this has been a fun exercise. Uh, some interesting shouts, uh, particularly by our man Slide over here. So yeah, let's uh, let's. It'll be interesting to revisit this at the end of the season and see uh, how far we, we were off this. But yeah, really glad that the Prem is back. Glad to be here with you guys again doing this um, this season. I'm really excited to get things going. Yeah, no, amazing to be here. I think uh, can't wait. Halfway yeah, through and, the season, uh, on I'll, to be, wolves. I'll be knocking on the table saying, guys, my prediction is as is. <laughs> uh, anyway, listener, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this. Please, just a reminder, if you'd be so kind, you can find us on the socials at the United Bias at all the major platforms. And please follow us wherever you enjoy your good podcast. Give us a rating, a review if you can on Apple or Spotify. We'd, we'd really appreciate that. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.